Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm Tom Marvin, Senior Technical Editor here at MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Joining me today on the podcast, all of us remotely, hence perhaps some slightly dodgy sound qualities, uh, Alex Evans, Bike Radar's Senior Mountain Bike Technical Editor. How are you getting on, Alex? I'm great, thank you, Tom. Lovely to be here. Very good. We also have Luke Marshall, one of our technical writers on MBUK and Bike Radar. How are you getting on, Luke? I'm very well, thank you, Tom. Yeah, all good. Lovely. And we also have our Technical Editor-in-Chief, Rob Weaver. How's it going, Weaves? I'm good, thank you, mate. Totally good. What have we all been up to in the last couple of weeks? Uh, let's start with you, Al. Oh, what have I been doing? I've been having a great time out on the mountains. Um, let's think. We've been testing bikes. We've been testing components. Uh, a real highlight for me at the minute is the Olin's RXF 38M.2 front suspension fork. Um, really, really enjoyed riding that. Um, and I'm hoping, uh, praying that Olin's won't be asking for it back because it's uh, it's it's truly one of my favourite forks out there at the minute. Yeah, really really impressive stuff. Have you also ridden Fox 38 and Zeb as well? I've had the Fox 38. Yep, in uh, same travel configuration, which is 170 millimeters, and the Zeb as well on uh, multiple test bikes, the Charger 3, and also the Charger 2.1 Zeb, so the old generation. Um, and it seems like the Oland, once you've made a few little modifications um, from the stock factory um, settings, it, it's it's brilliant. It's I'm really, really impressed with it. Um, but really important to make that modification. And you can read the review on Bike Radar and in MBUK um, to find out what that is. Leave you in suspense there. Yeah, we're, we're clinging on by our fingertips, though. Uh, Luke, <laughs> Luke, how are you getting on? You've, you've been away recently. What have you been doing? Yeah, so I just got back from attending the Cran Montana EWS in uh, in Switzerland. So 
uh, went over there and and threw my gloves into the race ring again and uh, and attempted to uh, to complete the EGS 100. Um, so yeah, that was that. A bit of a bit of fun. There will be a video coming out in the future. I tried to vlog it. My first uh, vlogging experience. To um, so that will go up on Bike Radar's YouTube channel um, sometime in October, I believe. Um, but yeah, it was a. Uh, it's been a couple of years, I guess, since since COVID all happened and kind of all the events got cancelled that I that I did any races and I kind of thought, ah, oh, maybe it's fun to try and do something again. But rather than just go attend the uh, the usual UK scene, I thought, oh, it's be a bit more adventurous and uh, and head out and uh, use that excuse to go to the Swiss Alps. So yeah, it's wonderful. Very good. Did you wobble down the hill with any? Uh particular zing and zeal did you did you do okay luke or did you just uh, come mid-pack no i did okay yeah 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 i was relatively competitive in my class so that was all right oh my god just get it out <laughs> but yeah so i won He's the uh, i won the masters 35 egos 100 um and, and yeah it's a battle though like like the stages are, are pretty brutal and uh and it was cool on uh, to go and watch the pros do it on Sunday and like and real humbling to like see how they make such challenging sections look so easy and uh, and uh, really incredible to watch them. So yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was good fun. Congratulations. Cheers, um, <laughs> Rob, what have you been doing recently then? So aside from obviously helping Luke prepare for his racing with our whole what whole day of uh, pedaling up hills. Uh, which is I think we did two didn't we we did I think we did two whole days yeah yeah so I'm, I'm sure that'll count towards something maybe potentially. Partner. yeah um I actually yeah so what have I been doing recently um so I've been working um alongside our team at our media um along with Rob from Nuke Proof and some of the people at a charity called Calm so the campaign against living miserably to put on a series of charity rides. And we had our first one called Ride Together, which was actually up in Alex's neck of the woods. So last weekend I um, drove up to Inner Leithen and we spent a couple of days taking two different groups out. Uh, one group we took um, just onto the trails at Inners. Um, it was more sort of an intermediate group. Um, and with the help of the guys from the Tweed Valley Bike Shop and Tweed Valley Guides. We did a bit of coaching, rode down some hills, had a good chat, ate lots of nice food. And on, on the Sunday, we did very much the same, but up on Golfy. So the trails are a little more challenging. So um, yeah, a bit more engaging, bit bit more uh, technical, I guess. So loads of fun, um, kind of nice to be able to do something and and in that sort of group environment and with a whole host of lovely people so yeah that was really cool what was the uh what was the hi highlight of the trip was it the uh after work ride where you got four punctures <laughs> and we had to we had to ride home in the dark <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely that yeah yeah uh we can probably yeah we'll, we'll talk about that bike in fact in a little while <laughs> won't we but yeah i think uh it just goes to show uh specking a bike with tires fit for purpose is key and uh so is yeah. eating carrots for night, yeah. night vision yeah it did get really dark we we'd done a couple of runs i flatted probably a third of the way into the first run and then after 
wedging, I don't know how many tire plugs, four or five tire plugs in. Yeah, plus some grass. Yeah, then, then uh, a really expensive inner tube, which was pre-punctured by this, having been in my backpack for about 10 years. Um, <laughs> disappointingly, I had to take, take, take it out, borrow one of ours, and then ride that. Yeah, I mean, it was so dark when we were trying to navigate our way through that forest. But um, it was fun, nonetheless. Yeah. Great Last we had. How about you, Tom? You've been uh, on the race scene as well, but in the oh, UK. Well, I've been racing, I've been jet setting, I've been doing a lot of things. Um, I actually don't know exactly when this podcast is going out. We're recording it in September. Um, so I won't talk about two of the bikes that I'm, I've been on launch for, but I have been on the Merida 160 slash Merida 140 launch recently, uh, which was held on Exmoor uh, in the two days preceding the X Enduro, sponsored by Merida, powered by Shimano, which I'm contractually obliged to say. Uh, and yeah, so... Um, <laughs> Did a three-day enduro um, up on Exmoor. Um, it's a really, it's a really, really excellent race. Like it's just a really Ex nice, excellent atmosphere. race. Oh yes, excellent race. Um, so yeah, <laughs> three days riding a load of trails. Some of which you're not allowed to ride normally. Some of which are a bit more open. Um, just bloody great. Uh, had a great time. Yeah, amazing. You got a trophy as well. I saw you got a trophy. <laughs> I got a trophy for the uh, the most enduro journo, um, and that's simply because um, I think seven there were seven different media people on on the launch, um, of which I think five of us started the race, two of us finished the race, um, and Mick uh, from MBR won his class. So I got the consolation, the other um, trophy because I didn't win, but they wanted to get me a trophy. The so. participants' trophy. Well done, mate. Yeah, you participated. Yeah. Still a trophy, Wooden isn't it? spoon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a nice trophy. I think Mick was a little annoyed that he didn't get it because he was actually the most enduro journo because he did significantly better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah. you and Luke overachieving. Good work. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Right. Excellent. Should we crack on with the meat of the podcast? Well, first, um, obviously, thank you very much for listening to the Bike Credit Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and all that sort of jazz. And if you've got any questions, comments, or uh, anything else you want to say to us, don't forget to email podcast at bikecreator.com. Okay, so this podcast uh, is sort of to tie in with MBUK 413's headline bike test, which is something we do every year, um, and it's a collection of really cool bikes. But I'm going to let Rob fully introduce the test uh, and what we're going to talk about. So, um, <clears throat> as you guys obviously know, and potentially some of the listeners too, for the last, ooh, I don't know, maybe six years, I think we've been pulling this one together. Since we probably, I think it was the last time we went to Vegas for Interbike was the last, was the first time we did it, I think. So it's probably a good six years now. What we try to do is get together the bikes that we think are gonna either sort of set trends for the following year or they're interesting for a particular reason whether that is a suspension platform or a particular uh, way in which they're built or a genre that they're targeted at potentially so none of the bikes are pitted against one another they're all tested individually and scored individually but that's not to say that we won't um, do back-to-back -back testing with similar bikes in order to uh, get the measure of them. But yeah, the idea generally is that we pick, um, I think it's eight 
of the bikes that we think are going to potentially make the most noise the following year or the types of bikes i should probably caveat with that so yeah it's a it's a very broad range everything from cross-country hardtails through to um unusually made e-bikes i want to say before i won't give too much away right now but and and everything else in between so yeah that, that's i guess that's the general gist does that cover it yeah i think so yeah good there you go we, um, <laughs> great <laughs> we each tested two bikes although al only tested one but did get a pal involved to test the other one so um should we go through i guess each of the bikes were tested maybe say why they are interesting um and then we'll do another round robin and maybe give very quick two minute ride impressions of each of them how does that sound Ooh, great sound, sounds like you've planned this podcast tom i've, I've planned it in my head just then. one minute ago <laughs> 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 always ready always prepared uh never off the cuff um <laughs> al what were the bikes that uh, you were you were testing and responsible for and why were they perhaps interesting okay cool yeah so um let's start with the bike that i actually tested because i'm i'm uh, i've got a little bit more to say about it i, I guess uh, it was the pole voima um pole is how you pronounce pole uh it's not how you pronounce pole. Pole is how you pronounce pole. Pole. Oh God, that's confusing. Uh, basically, it's the uh, Finnish Finnish brand's uh, electric mountain bike. It's their e-bike, and it looks rather bonkers. Let's be completely honest about that. Um, it has um, a dual link rear suspension system, a swing arm that's you know like a high seat stay type thing with no chain stay. Um, and the shocks mounted just underneath the seat tube. But what's really interesting about it is that it's machined from CNC. So it's CNC machined from, um, I guess, a, a single or multiple large blocks of aluminium. And uh, the bike is essentially made in, in sections. So one side of the frame, the left and the right hand sides of the main frame are then bonded together. And these are, you know, it, it's like a it's the first time this has ever been done, basically, in mountain biking, along with the pole, pole, apologies, stamina uh, and stamina remastered, uh, which were their previous bikes that also used the same construction techniques. And the argument, the, the argument for it is that gluing these two halves of the bikes together is actually stronger than welding, um, because there's only one large seam around the whole thing, and it's made from, uh, I'm pretty sure, 7075 T6 aluminium. Um, which is like a super strong, super high grade aluminium. Um, and there's no like heat treating. There's no kind of weird stuff going on. There's no welding. They are literally sticking these two halves of the frame together. And the Voima is their 190 millimeter travel e-bike. Um, so, you know, it, it's like a pioneer basically in, in the cycling industry. There is no one else doing this currently. It's only Pole that's making their bikes like this. Um, and, you know, the, the potential for cost cutting and, um, I don't know, changing geometry, changing things on the fly is, is there because you can basically program into the computer what you want the CNC machine to do and cut out of these blocks of aluminium, get it done. And, and there you have it. There's your changes made. There's no rejigging of jigs. There's no tubes to weld. There's nothing to work out. You're basically... Um, you can kind of go on the fly, I guess in a similar vein to the Atherton bikes and the way they, they 3D print their lugs and have their different tube lengths to change the geometry. 
um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a remarkable, quite a remarkable bike. And, you know, while we might not see people at other brands using these exact manufacturing techniques, it is possibly a sign of things to come. Sorry to just jump in, but am I right thinking that um, Polly are quite sort of um, open about why they don't go down the route of carbon fiber manufacturing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the, the, they've stuck to um, aluminium just for its environmentally friendly, recyclable, um, lower impact on the environment. Basically, they decided that carbon fiber was something that they couldn't be a part of. Um, in terms of the environmental impact. Um, and, and it's true, you know, the, the aluminium that these bikes are made out of is 100% recyclable. So if you have indeed had enough of your 9,278 euro, 24 cent Pole uh, Voima, <laughs> you could recycle it. You know, you could entirely recycle the frame if you were to break it down into its constituent parts. Um, and, you know, that, that's not something that carbon fibre um, bikes are, are able to able to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, it, it's absolutely bonkers looking. It is, you know, it, it looks crazy. Um, it, yeah, it's a really cool bike. What was the, um, what was the other bike? So the other one um, uh, is, is Rock Riders. It's a very catchy name. Rock Rider Race 900 Team Edition. Now this... It off the tongue. It does. Yeah, so easy. <laughs> now, Rock Rider is a decathlon brand. And decathlon, for those that don't know, is a huge, huge French brand. Um, that basically sell everything from camping kit, fishing gear, every sport under the sun, basically. I've got a decathlon kayak. Um, you know, I also have like decathlon clothing. You know, it, it's bonkers. It's bonkers. And this Rock Rider Race 900 Team Edition is a full carbon fiber bike um, with SRAM's XX1 access group set, the Sid Lux World Cup fork. It's super uh, bougie looking. But it only costs, and I say only with a small little caveat, but for the spec and for the price and for what it's designed to do, £3,799.99p for a race-ready carbon fibre cross-country bike. That is pretty bonkers. You know, it, it weighs 9.4 kilograms in the size small that we tested. Um, and, you know, we've chosen to put this bike in here because of the value but also because of what it represents. You know, it's a huge brand getting into high-level cross-country racing. And this bike, along with the full suspension equivalent, was raced by the Rock Rider Cross-Country World Cup team. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have any results to hand, so I can't comment on whether it was to great success or not. Apologies, I should have probably done that research, but there you go. Um, <laughs> sorry, listeners. Uh, but you know it's it's uh, it's impressive stuff that brands are taking real notice of the um, I don't know the high end the high end element of of our sport and people are going to benefit from that trickle down technology you know brands like Rock Rider they're going to bring cheaper bikes with that level of carbon with that level of components you know the low weights to a lower price point um, you know it's it's a it's a really interesting bike in terms of what it offers. And to the masses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, Effectively you, off the high street or out of a retail park. Yeah, you know, mm. you, you're, you're probably heading down to Catalan when you also go to uh, B&Q, which is a hardware store for our international listeners. You know, th there's going to be a decathlon next to your B&Q or your Quetcher or your whatever. Um, and yeah, you know, suddenly you've got a World Cup cross-country race bike in front of your eyes. Um, crazy. Luke, what have you been on? Uh, yes, I've had a couple of bikes. Um, I had the, the new Santa Cruz Nomad. 
so the the GX Access Reserve Coil version. So it's kind of their um, one of their mid spec bikes, but still very fancy spec and with a very high price tag. Um, but that bike kind of made it into the test as the Santa Cruz have kind of ditched all their 650B front wheels. So this is kind of the Nomad's always been their kind of long travel bike park bike, you know, have more fun, um, throw more whips, do bigger jumps. And, uh, and this latest version, they've they've taken away that smaller 650B front wheel and added a 29er to it. And it kind of increases the versatility. But it's it's something that we'll probably see um, happen with more and more bikes of this kind of genre over, if it hasn't happened already over the coming years as such, like the, the 650B front wheel might might be dead. It's uh, mm, possibly. Big, big call there, Luke. Yeah, possibly. But, uh, you know. <laughs> Maybe, well, yeah, I guess, you know, maybe there always be some around. But I think for the majority of of bikes out there will be a 29er front wheel now. I think it's uh, downhill racers have it, enduros, full 29 or mullet. Um, bike park bikes are heading the mullet direction as well as such. So, um, Or Santa Cruz seem to think so. So they've, uh, so they've added their, their 29er front wheel and a bit of versatility. So maybe it sets a bit of a trend there. And uh, the, the, they've also done a similar thing with their uh, 5010, um, which is their, you know, lighter weight uh, jib style bike that was traditionally always uh, smaller wheel front and back. And that model had a recent update as well that's it's now gone to mullet um, 29 inch front wheel across the whole size range as well. So even the, the smaller sizes, which uh, frequently at Santa Cruz have had the smaller wheels front and back, are now mullet on the, on this new 5010 Um so the, the the bells are nolling, aren't they? The you know it's uh, the death bells. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need. Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Maybe, but I, I think maybe we don't even need mullets here. Oh, I think I might agree with you there, Luke. <laughs> we've, 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 we recently did a podcast on mullet wheels, so you can listen back to that. Have a little dig through your podcast provider for Luke and Al spewing their opinions on mullet bikes. Luke, what was your second bike? And the second bike I had then was uh, Canyon's new Strive CFR, which is their now like dedicated Endura race bike. So um, for a long time, the Strive was their like long travel 29er and it had to cover um, like more their trail riders as well as such. So it had to encompass everyone that wanted kind of that long travel 29er bike. But Canyon recently released um, yeah, new spectral updates and new torque. Um, that they kind of put bigger wheels on those bikes and 
and they've dedicated those to more like all round trail riding or bike park riding, whatever. And they've unapologetically kept the Strive now as it's a pure race bike. So it's um, so it doesn't follow the same suspension layout as the rest of the uh, Canyon's full suspension range. Um, it still uses a, a four bar link, but it has a vertical shock placement. Uh, it's kept the shape shifter technology. Um, so that's the little piston in the rocker link that changes the position of the shock. Um, helps alter the geometry of the bike and the leverage ratio of the bike so you can have it in a, a pedal mode or a descend mode as such. Um, they've also have a reach adjustment headset cups in the frame as well. So it comes with a, a cup so you can either reduce or increase the reach by five millimeters. Um, so you can tailor that to yourself. And like the kind of the biggest change is to the geometry section they've made the bike much longer much lower um much slacker than the old bike because it's a big overhaul in the geometry terms but also in like the in the frame construction as well so the tube profiles have been really uh altered and it's much stiffer frame you know it's as they said this is a race bike and they wanted it to make it as, as stiff as they could for a certain weight target um and it is um yeah, it's a pretty full-on enduro race-specific machine. And uh, and it, it did just under Jack Moyer last weekend when we uh, when I was at Crans Montana, it won every stage. You know, so he, he piloted that to every stage win in uh, in Switzerland. F- fellow EWS racer. <laughs> yeah, me and Jack, we're pretty fellow tight now. EWS yeah, yeah. winner. <laughs> mm. exactly. did, he, did you give him loads of hints and tips and stuff? Bikes, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, we're pretty close lines. now, yeah. I told him I was yeah. testing it and I gave him a few little knickknacks to a takeaway. Am I right thinking he's riding a small? Is he on a I little, think he's on a medium. He's a medium. Yeah. It, it so, looks small underneath him, doesn't it? He? He's a big lad, isn't he? I think he's quite tall. Yeah, he's I like six, six, foot, six foot four, something like that. Oof. Yeah, so the, like point. I said, the geometry is, they've made the bikes quite big. So the smallest size they do, the, the reach comes at um, 4.55. I think you can change that to 450 or 460. And then Blimey. the medium is at um, 470, no, 480. And you can have that 475 in its short reach setting or 485. And um, and that's the medium. So they've they've really, they really have uh, yeah, stretched this bike out. So they what what size were you riding, Luke? So the bike I tested was a medium. Okay. If it was a bike I was to go out and get myself, I would go for the small. I'm, wow. I'm 173, so I'm five for eight. But uh, but my choice would be if it was to go and get one the, the small. The medium's just a little bit too long for me. But yeah, like wow. ideally, I can ride it fine. But I would I would take the smaller size. Rob, what what were you testing? So the first one uh, was the Trek Fuel EXE. I had the fancy 9.9 XX1 access version. So it costs a cool. 13, is it 13,250? Yeah. Cheap one, yeah. Yeah, the cheap yeah. one. So yes, it's the, yeah, the affordable model. How yeah. many, like, um, like a Ford Focus. How many hardtails can you get of Al's bike for that one? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know, I'm not very good at maths. Whole but team's but worth it. Three and a bit. Yeah. Uh, so, resident yeah, maths uh, genius, Tom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very expensive bike. But uh, so the reason it's in the test is while 
light, lighter weight e-bikes aren't anything new. I think for me, the, the big thing here, the big sort of newsworthy point here is that Trek actually went out and partnered with maybe a motor brand that isn't particularly well known. Um, so this company TQ, they're, they're a, a German company who had actually done a little bit of work with high bike in the past, <clears throat> but nothing, I guess, mainstream enough for anyone to particularly pick up on. Um, they met the guys at Trek at Eurobike 2018, I think it was. Uh, Trek saw what they were doing, asked them if they were able to um, basically shrink down what they'd done um, previously. And they said, yep, yeah, no problem. <clears throat> and out of that, they were able to, um, to produce the motor that's in the Fuel EXE, which uh, I think you guys have all seen it, is particularly small. I think you almost have to give it a second look to even notice if it is an e-bike or not. Um, and more importantly, it's really, really quiet as well. It's not silent, but it's not a million miles away, um, which again is something that I don't think many brands can boast. So by partnering with this company, so, so a bit of background, TQ, do a lot of, or they make a lot of drive units for all sorts of robotics in the aerospace industry, in the medical industry. Um, so it's not something that, you know, they're just having a stab at. They're obviously really well established in, in those fields already. Um, and they were able to make a very compact drive unit and work with Trek from the ground up to pretty much design everything from the motor to the battery, the integrated display screen, um, the twin button uh, bar mounted remote. So pretty much everything on Trek's wish list they could, they could deliver. Um, and it, the biggest thing is obviously that then the bike doesn't need to be compromised in terms of geometry. Um, similarly, because of that, then also they're able to get the suspension kinematics thereafter um, and deliver a bike that like I said, it's not, it isn't uh, anything particularly new because obviously we've seen like the Kinevo SL, the Levo SL, bikes of that ilk are, have been around for a while. But I think this is just that sort of turning point in the sense of what's possible because they're, they're not going super low powered. They, they class it as a mid-level assistance. So it's 50 newton meters of torque that it delivers and a 360 watt hour battery. Um, so you get a decent amount of range for that. There's enough um, grunt within the motor. As Al knows, we rode together, I was on a four powered e-bike. So last week we rode together up at the Golfie and I don't think I necessarily struggled keeping up. Um, and yeah, it, it's one of those bikes now that I think we're gonna see a lot more of. And it delivers a more natural ride feel compared to a full powered e-bike um, but you still get that bit of assistance and it's a decent amount of assistance as well which means you can go out and ride with mates that do have e-bikes as well full powered e-bikes sorry so yeah it it's it's certainly something we're going to see more of and we're already starting to because it's it it, it it gives out what is it double the power roughly of a of specialized sl motors but it 
30 newton meters, isn't it? So yeah. that's 35 on the SL, I think. So this is okay. 50, yeah, okay. 50 newton meters. But it's yeah. not it, it's not half the power of um, a, a full power e-bike, is it? So it's kind of, it truly is sitting in that middle ground. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, when you look at the weights, for example, um, I don't know what or how much the white weight that you were riding. If you give me one, if you 25? give me one second, I'll be able to tell you. Um, yeah, I think it was more like twenty twenty six point. It was either twenty six point five or twenty five point six. I can't remember. Okay, so so the Fuel EXE, the bike I rode without pedals, weighs uh, the top end is sort of eighteen kilos, close to nineteen. Yeah. So it's significantly lighter, which you know will affect range, obviously, and also affect the ride handling. But it meant that we, you know, there's enough power there that we could ride together, mm. which was really cool. And I think that's something that a lot of people that rode on Levo and Canevo SLs potentially struggled with if they had mates that had full power e-bikes. Yeah, there just wasn't enough grunt there. And if they were to stick it in the turbo mode, it would rinse the battery too quick. Yeah, it's the same with uh, Fazua powered bikes as well, isn't it? It's kind of kind of the same the same problem really. Um with the SL, you know, the transition uh, re relay, I think it is, uh, uses it, the new one. Rob, what was the other bike you were testing? So the other bike is the HB916 um, from Hope. So I actually went on the launch for the HB160, I think it was back in 2017. So it was the first bike that Hope had ever made. They made it from carbon fiber, all laid up in-house. Um, they machine all the the linkage parts that are needed and parts of um, the chain and seat stays that are then bonded to carbon fiber tubes. And from that point of view, it's very similar. The, nine, the 916 is very similar to the, H, uh, the HB160, but the 916 uses a very, very different suspension layout. They've gone for a high pivot design um, where the back end of the previous bike used the horse link design, so pivoting on the chainstay. That chainstay pivot's now gone and it's a concentric pivot at the dropout where the chain and seat stays meet. Um, the 916 still has 160 mm travel. Um, it doesn't use the super narrow 130 mm rear end of the old bike, which was designed to give you, you know, as much clearance as possible, which was great, but also meant wheel compatibility was kind of limited so you know uh, they've gone they've moved away from that sort of proprietary sizing and it uses just the standard boost 148 mil back end now um, the geometry has also uh, been stretched out a lot more slackened and you get a bit of a, a bit of geometry adjustment with a uh, flip chip in the rocker seat stay pivot <clears throat> which can be flipped and allows you to either slacken the bike out more or you can um, use it to modify the geometry and run a smaller back wheel. So you get the option to run mixed wheel size as well, if you want to. Um, again, part of the reason why I thought this bike should go in, you know, uh, high pivots aren't anything new, but I think uh, seeing a smaller brand like this kind of take it on and run with it as it sees it as a burgeoning trend that's going to go forwards. So it does make me think that we're more than likely going to see more and more trail bikes, enduro bikes cropping up with high pivot designs. 
Um, again, you know, I guess jury's out as to whether or not we think it's necessary or not. But I think it's a it's a cool thing to see from a really um, a really interesting brand doing really cool things. Nice. Okay. Um, well, the bikes that I was riding was the uh, the Bird Forge Stainless uh, in like a, an SLX uh, custom build. So this, uh, so Bird are one of those small UK brands. Uh, they, I think they sort of launched about seven, eight years ago um, with some hardtails, 650B hardtails. And over the years, they've, they've massively expanded their range um, up to, you know, full enduro bikes. But they've stuck largely with aluminium. They do have a couple of carbon models or one carbon model. Um, but the Forge was... Uh, the first steel hardtail they really launched. I think they bought like an 853 one um, out last year. And this year they've joined it with um, a stainless steel version of, of the bike. Uh, so the reason why they've gone stainless steel, really, uh, I spoke to um, Ben Pinnock, who sort of runs the brand. He said it's basically it's because we can. Um, and it's quite a cool material. Um, it's uh, a bit harder uh, than sort of a regular steel, um, which gives it a little bit more um, impact resistance. Um, also, the feel of it is very similar to that of a normal steel frame. But the nice thing about it, I guess, is that you can leave it pretty much unfinished um, with a, like a nice brushed uh, look to it, which looks pretty cool. And you get sort of the classic steel looks um, with a frame that actually gives you the sort of the right qualities that they wanted. Now, they did clear coat it just to give that little extra bit of rust protection, but it's the same steel. It's kind of fun. Um, the forge itself is like a, a really radically shaped hardtail, so it's got a really long reach. Um, stack head angle, super low bottom bracket, um, and a steep seat angle. So it really represents sort of, I guess, the the resurgence of the hardcore hardtail. Um, and it's just like a really nice little bike to, to ride, really. Um, one of the good things, that, well, one of the things about Bird, um, which is relatively unique, is just how much customization there is with the specs as well. Um, so when you sort of purchase your bike, you can drop in there and you know you can change the tires, the drivetrains, the forks, the finishing kit and all this sort of stuff. So they're one of those brands where you can get a high performing bike and then target where you think the money should be spent on the bike. Um, so the pricing is sort of a little bit all over the place because it depends really on what you put on there. Um, but generally speaking, Bird are known for really good value. Um, and well-performing bikes. Um, so that's forged, like in, in, in a nutshell, <laughs> very quick nutshell, I guess. Um, that's, that's, that's the bike. Um, so we'll talk a bit more about how it rides in a minute, I guess. Uh, the other bike that um, I was testing uh, was the Mondraka Raze Carbon R. Um, Mondraka have always been known, I guess, or certainly for the, for the last little while for its uh, forward geometry. Um, they were one of the first major brands to stick much longer reaches, uh, steeper seat angles, relatively slack but not super slack head angles, and short stems are sort of their um, geometry philosophy. Worked with Fabian Burrell and uh, Cesar Rojo to develop all of that. Um, the Rays is a 130mm trail bike with a 150mm fork. It uses their zero suspension linkage, which again has always been um, well regarded. The reason why we've put this bike into the test, though, is its use of the mind suspension telemetry. So on the fork, uh, sort of on the crown and on the lowers, and um, in the shock linkages, there are magnetic field sensors, which 
measure the amount of suspension that's being used at any given time. Um, and it links it all together in an app to give you effectively real-time-ish telemetry. So it can tell you exactly what your suspension travel was at any point on a trail. The idea being that you can then analyze this and work out whether you need to change the suspension settings, whether you're riding your bike in a particular manner, um, and you can get a whole host of information. It's, it's kind of like Shockwiz that um, SRAM and Quark released a few years ago, but I would say it's probably not quite as sophisticated yet, um, but perhaps that's going to come. Um, it can also give you some setup hints and tips, say you need to run a little bit more sag or a little bit less sag. Um, so I guess, yeah, we, we put it into the test, just sort of an example of how electronic technology is being integrated seamlessly, kind of, into bikes to really help you set up and get the most out of your bike. Is that, is that fair, Rob? Nice. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> you did good. Well done. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, <laughs> mate. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's why it's in the test. Right. Should we, should we rattle through each of the bikes again? And just sort of give our listeners some uh, brief ride impressions, how they, how they fared. Was it any good? And, and maybe whether the features that made them get into this test are ones that we actually think are worth having. Maybe that should be the focus, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's make that the focus. Let's plan this whilst we're going. <laughs> we go. This is live planning, guys. <laughs> Go. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Al, tell us about this, um, about the Polo Voimo. Is it is it good? And, and do you think this CNC fancy machining technique really uh, is worth the extortionate price? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean truly, I, I was uh, I, I was definitely impressed with the way the Poima, the Poima, that's uh, Pole and Voimo wow. mixed together, uh, with the way the Voimo rode. Um, it, it, I mean, it, caveat to that is in fairly specific scenarios. Um, so geometry aside, so the, 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 the Voima's geometry is also uh, a bit interesting in that it has zero bottom bracket drop. So the bottom bracket is directly in line with the front and rear axle, which is actually quite high. That's quite a high bottom bracket. Um, I can't remember what I measured it exactly, but it was, it was more, than, more, than, uh, more than usual, put it that way. Um, so ignoring that, which kind of meant that the bike rode really well on fast, flat out, straighter tracks and was a bit of a handful on the tighter, slower, techier ones where more was needed to get it to lean over to get it to change direction. The way the frame's constructed is actually, you know, it feels brilliant on the trails. Um, it's super smooth, super planted, super controlled, and there's very little like reverberation and harshness coming through the bike. Um, and, you know, there's quite a lot of different things at play here, but, you know, you're kind of focusing on the frame and the way it's constructed. And if, if you grab a handful of back wheel in the car park and give it, a, give it a wobble from side to side, there is a fair amount of frame flex, but that's not a bad thing. You know, flex isn't always bad. And, you know, we, we've also discussed this with Warren in, a, in another recent podcast that may or may not be live already. I don't know. Um, but, you know, the, the, the Voima feels quite flexy, but it seems to be flexy in all the right places. Um, and then, you know, I mean, beauty is in the, the eye of the beholder. Um, some people may absolutely love the way the Voima looks. Some people may not. Um, I, I personally think it looks really cool. I, I genuinely do. I think it looks like a, like a spaceship or something like that. Um, you know, it's super bonkers. 
Um, in, in terms of is the construction worth the price? Well, I was just looking the other day and Specialized Turbo Levo uh, S-Works model uh, that I tested at 13 grand has now gone up to 14,250 or 450 or something like that. So it's basically gone up by a grand and a half. Um, so in that respect, the Voima actually represents pretty good value for money given the construction techniques involved. Um, in terms of where is it, it going to last? I mean, it's got a Category 5 certification, which is the, the toughest one that, you know, any, any bike brand can be awarded. Um, and, you know, it's got, a, it's got a, a long warranty with it. So, you know, I don't think they're going to have any problems um, with these things peeling in half like a, like a mouldy banana skin. You know, I really don't think that's going to be an issue. Um, yeah, I mean... Because the, the gluing technique is something they use in the aerospace industry and yeah. automotive industry yeah, exactly. all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think it's anything to be anything to be concerned of. And I think even, you know, gluing things is can be much, much stronger than welding things, um, as long as you've got all your other ducks in a row. Do you think we're gonna see other companies doing this sort of technique or do you think it's gonna we're gonna see more of it? I mean, people looking for kind of environmental credentials, maybe people looking to to build um, bespoke geometries or make running changes to their bikes because, you know, a, a major bike brand invests a serious amount of money in their R&D, just like all of them do. But to make a change to a bike that you've already ordered 50 million tubes for, uh, you know, it takes time and it's not possible. Whereas, like we kind of said in the introduction with the Voima, if they wanted to make a change to the geometry, the bottle mount, the, you know, God knows what, they just plug that into the CNC machine, so they're much more adaptable, much more flexible, um, and there are you know clear advantages to that. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'd I'd love to. I'd I'd love to see other brands embracing this sort of construction technique. How about the, was, um... Sorry to interrupt. Just like uh, like the repairability of it. If there was ever a problem, you say it's got long warranty, but how how repairable is it? Can obviously you can re-weld a frame if you get a crack or whatever. Would this can it be re-glued? Oh, I yeah. don't know. That's a very good question. You I mean, the, you'd presume so, right? And get the Pritt stick out and just you know. Yeah, yeah PVA, <laughs> PVA, and a bit of uh, a bit of paper, a bit of newspaper there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's a that's a, that's a legitimate question, and I suppose it. Um, you just have to reference the repairability of all other current bikes on sale, and you know, I guess steel is the most repairable. Um, in terms of you could just weld it back together and strength is, you know, less compromised than an aluminium bike. Carbon fiber is surprisingly repairable as well, actually, for people um, who know how to do it. Um, you know, you, you can actually Im increase strength when you repair carbon fiber. Um, yeah, I don't know if you'd just be able to glue this back together. Um, <laughs> just buy a second half from uh, yeah. Polo. Yeah, m m maybe. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't know if they if they make halves. It'd be an interesting <laughs> question to ask uh, Leo Cockenhead, wouldn't it? Do you stop halves? Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I would like a right, please. A right hand half. <laughs> um, well, that'd be bad. It depends which way you're looking at it, though, oh, right? God. Oh, God. Yeah, imagine that. Riders oh. right or viewers right. Yeah. Oh, tricky. Yeah. Probably have to say know. drive or non-drive. Oh, I've got I've got two lefts. We just we just <laughs> oh god. Just oh. drill some holes and bolt it. Yeah. <laughs> Ride around with like there, mate, like nuts sticking yeah. out and yeah. Beautiful. It'll be fine. Beautiful. Yeah. My mate once glued up a uh, a curtain pole <laughs> rather than oh, drill nice. it. Yeah. yeah, he said he was struggling to to get a good um good connection with the drill, so he uh, he just 
no more nailed it. Why not? Um, it makes sense. I don't think it worked very well. But oh, okay. Yeah, probably probably not one to let Leo listen to. Yeah. Sorry, Leo. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it you know, it, it is a, it's a truly interesting bike, and I, I genuinely hope that other manufacturers will embrace these alternative construction methods. I mean, you know, j- just to mention a few, like I said earlier, you've got Atherton Bikes um, with their 3D-printed titanium lugs and carbon tubing. Um, TBT to Empire Cycles, um, who uh, cast cast their bikes out of uh, one one single one single um, I mean dribble of metal I guess a liquid metal that would then solidify. Um, Who's the downhill team doing something similar to that now? Oh yeah, um, oh, a competitor did a video on it. Um, <laughs> oh, did they? Yeah, I think so, um, or at least mentioned it. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, you know, th- th- there are people Gamma? out there. No, Gamma, Gamex or something. I yeah, can't remember. Yeah, it rings a bell, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great to see this stuff, see this stuff out there. Um, and, you know, the, the, the Voim is certainly going to suit a lot of riders out there, particularly people who love going fast on proper rough gnarly tracks. How about the uh, the Rock Rider? Yeah, I mean, once again, you know, this is something that genuinely gets me excited um, because I am quite, uh, I'm quite the budgeter, I think, to put it the most polite, politest way possible. Um, and accessing the kind of type of performance that the Rock Rider represents at the budget is bonkers. You know, I mean, Sarah rode this bike and I, I rode it with her and she was flying like a bat out of hell on it, on like the smoother kind of cross-country focused trails. Um, I would say that, at, at this level of, of price point, you're maybe going to um, struggle with some of the refinement of the carbon construction. Um, not always, but sometimes. And, you know, the, the rock ride was actually quite a harsh ride um, and the cables weren't tubes, tubes within the tubes. So the cables were internally routed, but they didn't have routing guides within the, in the tubes. And this rattled quite a bit. Um, and you know that this is kind of indicative of something where that they're cutting costs to to save money to bring you that impressive retail price. Um, you know, a few tweaks here and there, and I, I reckon that that Rock Rider race would have been an incredible bike. Um, there's real potential there, and it certainly shines a light on what's possible um, because the the frames actually made in France. You know, it's it's carbon fiber that, that's made in France. It's not outsourced to. Um, you know the the Far East or or wherever. So you know clearly they've managed to find a place that can build these things and pay, you know Western Western wages for use of a better term. Um, you know which is impressive. Excellent stuff. All right. Um, Shall we uh, hear from Luke about your two bikes while I very quickly run and get my laptop charger? <laughs> <laughs> As ever, Again, we're still well planning. Planned. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the Nomad then, it's, um, I said, it's always been, uh, yeah, like a park bike and, and it still very much is. It has that extra versatility now of the, the bigger front wheel. Um, but they've still made it like a really playful, fun bike out of it, even though it's like 170 mil travel front and rear. Um, that travel is good at like going through the rough stuff, it will, but it's not so plush that you can't get that pop and support so the 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 people who are going to want this bike like guys who want to go to the bike park um smash out the laps there and then do some you know off-piece riding it's that 
it's a it's a bike that's suitable for for all that riding like it's got on the flowier more mellow trails it's still got that support from the rear end that you can you can pump into berms and pop off lips and it, and it gives you that fun and then you know you'll take it to somewhere a bit rowdier and it's just got that like stability now of the front wheel that um, allows you to rattle through the kind of the rougher the steeper the gnarlier terrain and and feel a bit more confident in that front end of the bike so like I, I don't they, see it as a downside to have the bigger front wheel on it. I think it's, I think it's, a, it's an, for me personally, it's better around. I think lots of riders will will feel that too. But yeah, sorry, have they um, have they dropped the progression on that slightly? So right. the kinematics have been tweaked yet. Yeah. So it is, um, it starts with a lower leverage ratio, um, and a slightly Flatter, so it finishes with a similar leverage ratio, but overall it's slightly more linear. Yeah. Okay. Um, and That's then with okay. a few um, a few tweaks to the geometry as well. So as much like I said, it actually uses the same frame. They've Santa Cruz, I guess, have, have saved costs here by using the same frame as the new Mega Tower, the front triangle, and it has different linkage rear end. Um, I think that's quite a common theme with Santa Cruz bikes at the moment where they're mixing and matching uh, front and rear triangles and linkages from their range to produce um, the different models. So, you know, like the 5010 will have a front triangle from whatever and a rear triangle from another one. And that's how they're that's how they're making all of these different bikes with slightly different travels, different geometries, etc. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, it's as Santa Cruz, they say they've used their VPP system for for decades now, really. And uh and the suspension is very refined on it, you know. I mean, it's um, it, it does what you want to do, and uh, and I say I think it's the front wheel add, does add the versatility to it. Does but the suspension and the kinematics, um, and the geometry uh, allow it to be used not just as a plow bike, if you know what I mean. It, it's it's got more pop and support to it. So the, um, does it compare to the Mega Tower? Um. Yeah, so I've raced on the Mega Tower and I've been testing this one and, and they're overall pretty similar. You know what I mean? There's not a huge difference. Um, if it was me, I would just take the Mega Tower. I think the two big wheels uh, for my style of riding are better, but for the, for the people that want that kind of um, more... It's easier, I guess, to get over the back wheel on the... Um, I, I wouldn't say it's like noticeably more flickable but um i say it's probably a bit more supportive in the middle i mean i run both of these with a coil shock and i think that adds a bit of that um that mid-stroke support that gives you a bit more to push against through the the middle of the stroke um and and they are very similar so i think it's it comes down to your preference on on the wheel size rather than there's a huge noticeable difference between how they um how they ride and feel if you know what i mean how was uh, how was that big front wheel when you were hitting up the jumps at the Red Bull Joyride the other day? Um, pr- pretty sure the uh, you know the the back flips, the front flips, all those guys out there looking to looking to get Sendy. That that's like the big concern, isn't it? When all these bikes are moving away from their 650B front and rear, they're like, oh gosh, you know, I'm not going to be able to jump it, pump it, whatever. Um, you know, obviously you weren't doing the Red Bull Joyride, but um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you were. At the start. Maybe <laughs> yeah. you were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty big news. <laughs> I, I think... Um, as, well, was that EWS win? I don't know. Exactly. No, like, um, I think the sports will progress, won't they? The athletes will learn to progress on the equipment they have at the time. 
Mm. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, like the the word down the grapevine uh, was that um, Josh um, Loose Dog Lewis took took the twenty nine er fork off his new fifty ten and put the put a six fifty B fork back on in order to run six fifty B wheels front and back to keep that uh, jibbiness alive, I guess. Um, and it's you know it's it's kind of interesting. At, at what point does the twenty nine er wheel become prohibitive for certain types of riders if if it does at all that is yeah i think there's a a a group of riders out there that are very different to um my style of riding i can't comment on that it's uh, unfortunately i'm not hitting a drill rider or anything like that so it's uh, for me it's the bigger front wheel doesn't uh take any versatility away or it adds versatility i think for most riders it will i'm sure there will be a group of people out there that still want um what they know and what they're used to um and yeah there's uh i guess you know dirt jump bikes haven't gone for bigger wheels because mm. you know it's uh more fit for purpose to have the smaller wheels there still but so yes. style bikes are the same but um but B- bmx's have gone up to 22 inch oh yeah so you know yeah we'll see what well, alec when you go do a back we uh if you Go learn some backflips, Alan, then you can let us know if the big wheel is a, a pro yeah, it's, con. It's on my uh, to-do list for later today, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about the um, the Strive, Luke? So the Strive, again, that's... um, Yeah, it's a, different to the poly then, that the Strive is stiff and they built it stiff and, it's, uh, and you can feel that when you ride it. It's a very direct bike. Um, you point it where you want to go and, and it's not that it's... Um, like harsh feedback through the hands as such it's but um it's very direct in its its response to being ridden if you know what i mean you give a certain input to it and it will change direction you go over this line it will go there if you know what i mean wherever you point it, it will go um and i i quite like that and and opposite to the poly as well it has a super low bottom bracket so well the poly had like you said no no bottom bracket bottom yeah, bracket yes. drop Zero, yeah, yeah zero, so zero BB drop. So the, I think the Canyon Strive's got 36 mil of bottom bracket offset. So it's probably one of the lowest bikes I've ridden. And and has a really short chainstay as well. So it's only like 435 on the chainstay. So um, it is quite snappy in and out the turns. You know, it's quite mm-hmm. easy to turn. Um, but because they've made the, the bike quite long, you know, you really do have to kind of, weight that front wheel and be active over the front wheel to to get it to track where you want it to go um but when you when you get the balance right it's uh yeah it's it's, it's really direct handling bike um and i think it's like the shapeshifter i'm a big fan of it like it makes a significant difference you know it raises the bottom bracket up 15 mil steepens the head angle and seat tube angle a degree and a half um so geometry-wise, you know, it, it firms up the rear suspension, the leverage ratio changes that and reduces travel to like 140. So it puts it in a much more trail bike position. Um, and and if you were to, I think, you know, change the wheels and change the tyres, you could happily have that as a, a trail bike with a long fork, if you know what I mean. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I don't think the, the weight of the bike really is... Uh, significantly would slow you down as a trail bike it's it's the enduro version of it has real sticky max grip tires on it which you know make it a slug to pedal around but it's you know designed for more going down than up but 
it that shapeshifter does kind of give you two bikes in one, which is uh, it's pretty convenient. So is is it the the future of the one bike quiver? You know, your your one bike household that can do your it trail is, riding still, and your endurance. I'm so, like the way San, like Canyon have pulled that off and uh, and have, have stuck to it. And it was requested in this new bike by their team. Their team riders wanted to keep the shapeshifter um, when they designed the new bike. They said, "You want it?" And they're like, "Yeah, let's let's keep it." Um, it is a and it is literally a flick of the switch from your thumb. Okay, you've got a, an extra cable, a couple of cables coming out. Um, and maybe people don't appreciate the extra shifters on the handlebars, but for its convenience of it's there and what it allows you to do, it's uh, it's certainly something that I would would take on. And, and I'm surprised more brands haven't looked into, if you know what I mean. Like the Scott Twinlock? Similar to the Scott Twinlock, yeah. Yeah, so Scott have got mm. their version of it. You can have the shapeshifter, but... Um, but yeah, both I had a Scott on a long-term test bike, and I yeah really I like the twin lock system. Um, and uh, testing the canyon, I think that the, the shapeshifter is a good mechanism as well. Excellent stuff. Tra- Just the um, future. Yeah. Easy. Rob, why don't you talk about the uh, the fuel exe? There's no hope. Right. So, <clears throat> I think for a start. The first, probably the first thing you notice is just how quiet it is. Um, they have done a stellar job producing a motor that is so quiet. Um, there's a lot of detail as to why that is, but essentially, um, thanks to the way it's geared and the way it works, it uh, the RPM is way lower in this type of motor than it is in the equivalent Bosch, Bros, Shimano, whatever that might be. So obviously the higher RPM produces that higher sort of whiny noise we've all come to associate with e-bikes. Whereas this is, yeah, way, way, way quieter. So, you know, I, I was riding it on trails and I don't think people even sort of clocked that I was on an e-bike as I shot past them going really fast. They must've just thought I was super fit, which is always nice, but uh, sadly not. Um, and the ride and handling is, yeah, it's really impressive. I rode with Luke, in fact, and I had it switched off and I just rode it like a normal bike. I mean, it's like an 18, 19 kilo bike to pedal around, which is pretty heavy, but the tires roll pretty quick. Um, and it was fine. You know, I think it's one of those bikes, though, where they've sort of said, and I, and I think you found this with the Fuel EX, Tom, they said it's a trail bike with 140 mil travel and a 150 fork. But actually, when you get going, it feels like a more robust, solidly built frame. It's really quite progressive and you can actually ride it quite a lot harder. Um, and so, yeah, uh, you end up pushing beyond the tires limits, which is why, obviously, Al and I had to spend, you know, the night in the woods trying to fix a puncture. But um yeah, you know, I think they've done a great job with that bike. It it genuinely offers enough assistance so you're not left behind when you're riding with mates with e-bikes. But equally, it doesn't doesn't seem to sort of tread on the toes of that e-bike riding experience, if you see what I mean. Those heavier bikes offer quite a different feel and a different ride. This sort of straddles the two in terms of regular trail bike and e-bike, so you get a you get some of those benefits of that extra weight, a bit of extra traction, things like that. The stability that comes inherently with that. 
but you still get a bike you can you know chuck around manual you know jump really easily um so yeah in short because i know we're uh ticking on in terms of time in short yeah they, they have done a superb job with that admittedly you know the bike i rode was a serious amount of cash um but there are a series of lower spec bikes um on their way so it does open it up to to more people and i think it, like i said from the get-go it's going to be something we're going to be seeing more of and the fact that trek have been bold enough to bring in this motor partner tq who I think Trek have exclusivity for a very short amount of time, but then TQ will be open to working with other brands. Uh, and I think the reason behind that is uh, that will validate it for the customers. If other brands start picking up and using TQ as a motor, it will make you know it will it will give that validation and that sort of reassurance that they're totally legit and it's you know no problem going with them rather than one of the more common bigger brands that we're used to seeing on e-bikes. So. In that regard, yeah, you know, I, I after riding that bike as much as I have, I think they thoroughly deserve to be within this test and and to have done as well as they've done. Nice. All right. Um, how about the the Hope? Because that is quite a it's a very unique looking bike. It's a bit marmite maybe in its aesthetics, but um, what about on the yeah. trail? Is it, did it ride good or? I think the biggest thing I struggled with on that bike was just um, setting up the Olin suspension. As Al mentioned. Um, it can take a little bit of work. And I think what I spent too long doing was trying to potentially chase the balance front to rear. Um, and it just meant I would make adjustments at one end and then suffer at the, at the other and have to keep tweaking, keep tweaking, te- keep tweaking. And eventually, it, eventually I got somewhere. Uh, I, I got to a, a good place, I think, with it. And um, it tracked the ground well and it, and it did what I needed to do. I think... For me, at 67, 68 kilos, I think the, the fork and shocker arguably still overdamped. I was running, you know, very little in terms of damping, if any at all. I had nothing on the, nothing wound onto the shock and I was running relatively sort of uh, lowish pressures to keep it as sensitive as, as, as I'd have wanted. But suspension aside, I think once you, once you do, you know, find a good working window for it, yeah, the, the design itself and the geometry, I think, is really good. I think the 916 is a lovely bike to ride. It it doesn't, um, I would say, having ridden, uh, what did I ride earlier this year? So other high pivot bikes, including the Jekyll and the GT Force. It's a, it's a halfway house between those, I think. So you get a lot of the same stability as you get with the Jekyll. Um, but the Jekyll gives a bit more feedback compared to the force, which properly swallows up. It really does, you know, keep that back wheel glued to the ground and swallow up all of those square edge hits. So the 916 is definitely between those two bikes. There's a little bit more feedback, but it's certainly, you know, even on flat pedals, you can feel it just working away and almost scalping the top of those nasty bumps, which, it, it you know helps to keep your feet in place keep your feet on but it also means the bike stays really composed and just sort of works away and you can pick a line more confidently um and i think really the only thing that i would change on that complete build would be the bar i think you and i both talked about the the bar tom 
that the hope bar can feel quite harsh. Um, and it would be something, yeah, that I'd switch out. But otherwise, yeah, the, the new brakes, I think, were brilliant, really good. Um, and, the, yeah, the, the bike worked really well. Um, are you, are you a bit of a convert to high pivot stuff then on, on a longer travel bike, or are you on the fence? Uh, I think Sound sometimes I'm very much, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think there's, I think the current crop of just, you know, regular pivot bikes do a great job of what they're intended to do. I think sometimes with those bikes, there are a series of compromises you have in order for it to do one thing really well. Um, so it all depends if you can package it up and, and make that work. And I think Hope had done a wicked job of this. You know, I think, yes, there is a little bit of noise in the first two gears when you're climbing, but it doesn't necessarily feel like it's holding the bike back and you still get plenty of traction when you're climbing steep hills. And, you know, the, I think the geometry is great. So I, I think there's fewer compromises there maybe. You still have to deal with an extra moving part along the chain, you know, potentially associated maintenance with that. Um, so there are some downsides. Um, yeah, I, it, it all depends if it can do it without without too many compromises. Um, what I did like about the Hope was that I could just switch out the back wheel easily without drama. Um, and it was something I did do. Hope provided us with a smaller rear wheel. So I, I did um, chuck a 650B wheel in the back and, and I preferred it like that. Nice. How All about right. you, Tom? Well, uh, well yeah, let's, let's talk about the bird to start off with. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll nail my flag to the mast. I do, I do like a hardtail. I do like riding fairly really rad-shaped hardtails. <laughs> I, just, I just love it. <laughs> Poor Luke. Luke's basically being sick. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I just I, I love that sort of um, visceral connection. Um, oh, I just found a tick on my There's barely head. any connection because the back wheel's bouncing everywhere. <laughs> I was going to say a connection between the crank and the rear wheel, Luke, not between the wheel and the crown, because as you said, <laughs> quite often there isn't very much going on. <laughs> um, I just love like the way they. I love the way they feel. I love the way you have to ride them in a, you know, a fairly forward biased, um, aggressive way. I'm not saying they're faster in any particular situation. Most of the time they're actually probably slower than a full suspension bike. But if you pick the right one, I genuinely think that they're not as slow as you, as you might think. Um, obviously case in point, you know, my, the one, the bike I've talked about many times, the Marinel Roy being like, I think the perfect hardtail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> big damped tires, ridiculously long reach, silly slack head angle. It's just, a, it's a recipe for, for going as fast as you can without a rear shock. Um, the Forge takes a lot of that uh, and, you know, it gives you a lot back. It, it, it's a really fun bike to ride. It's got a very long, so it's about 496 mil reach in a large. The bottom bracket's at 302 mil. Um, and the head angle is about 64, 65 degrees. So it's it's not quite as radical as, as the Marin, but it's still um, very progressive in its shape. And kind of what this means is that you end up with a bike that is stable, um, it's confident, you can really push the bars and get that front tire sort of gripping into the ground. And you just sort of let the rear wheel kind of do its thing and bump and, 
and knock all over the place. Um, but so long as you've got confidence in that front wheel, I think you can actually get a lot of out a lot out of the bike. And that's what those aggressive geometries give you. It gives you the ability to to have that confidence. Um, the whole like different materials to frame things, I, I think, still holds true a little bit. You know, um, Al, you were talking about the Rock Rider being a little bit harsh, perhaps. Um, on a hard toe, it's never going to be soft and comfortable, right? The, the, you know, the, the suspension largely comes from the, the air in your tyres. But there is a little bit of something, a little bit of zing, a little bit of very slight compliance in some frames compared to others. Um, and I think Bird have just about got that right um, with, the, uh, with the Forge. Have ridden slightly more comfortable frames, hardtail frames, Pipe Dream. Did a, had a really beautiful frame, for example. I read that last year, um, but you, you know, it's not like a proper filling, rattling out sort of bike to ride. Um, I had some issues with the with with the spec that I was given mostly in the tires. Um, I think I had XO or XO plus, whereas actually I'd rather have the sort of the better damped, stouter, more protective double down tires from Maxxis. But being bird, you could you could spec this if you really wanted it. Um, at the front, it had the new pike um, with the buttercups the, and the Charger 3 damper. Um, and yeah, plenty of support there, which is what you really want on a hardtail. You want that fork to stay propped up. You don't want it diving all the way through its travel on sort of smaller to medium hits because the difference between a hardtail and full suspension, you know, when you hit an impact is that everything gets steeper. The head angle gets steeper as the fork compresses because there's nothing at the back also compressing. As on a full suspension, obviously when the shock does, you get a more static geometry all the way through its travel, if that makes sense. Um, so having a fork with plenty of support is really important and um, the Pike seemed to offer that pretty well. Um, so yeah, I, I just came away like very happy with it. I, I really enjoyed riding it. I thought it was, um, it's maybe not the best aggressive hardtail I've ever ridden in terms of pure descending performance, but as an overall package, uh, it does a very good job. Nice. And you think we're still going to see, because obviously in, in, in our country, in the UK, we've got a rich hi history with having those, those sort of hardcore hardtails existing. Do you think that's going to continue on? I think it's always going to, I think there's all, they're always going to be bubbling away in the background and Personally, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see more people riding them because I think, um, you know, there's always this debate of, well, you should learn on a hardtail, learn on a full suspension. And I think that's a load of rubbish. But I do think that riding a hardtail brings other things to the party and it, it opens your eyes to, to different ways of riding, different techniques and, and um, maybe riding in a slightly more considered, smoother way. And I think when you then jump back on a full suspension, maybe you might be able to pick different lines because you have that, that get out clause at the back, but it does make you think a little bit more about where you're pointing your wheels and, and maybe be a little bit more considered, um, in my opinion. Nice. So all I took away from that is Luke's going to get a hard tough for 2023. Yes. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> yes. I look forward to it. I look forward to it. I didn't want my teeth anyway. It's fine. <laughs> teeth are up, <laughs> Um, so yeah, so well, let's let's. Uh, I'll move on to the Mondraka uh, race. So if we we'll talk about mind in a minute because I think that's a slightly different subject, which is obviously going to be the core of what we're going to talk about. But the race itself, as a trail bike, I think is absolutely excellent. I really like. I really enjoyed riding it. It's it's not the smoothest bike at the back end. The zero suspension, obviously, is way smoother than the Forge, but it's not like some sort of super smooth sofa feeling like. Uh, bike which sucks up every little bit there's a little bit of feedback through the pedals there's a little bit of feedback through the bike and personally I really like that I like knowing what's happening underneath rather than being completely insulated from it the geometry is 
as you'd expect from Mondraker, it's barbon. It's not extreme anymore, um, like you might see from the likes of Pole, but it sort of now sits in that upper end of sort of average, if that makes sense. So it's got a, a pretty long reach. Um, the head angle isn't ridiculously slack, but it's it's not steep by any means, and the seat angle's nice and steep as well. So it's, it's a comfortable place to be, and it's a confident place to be. One of the, the thing I really noticed about it is, you know, when you sort of drop into, like off a little roll into a corner, you can just really trust that the front end isn't going to sort of lose traction and, and push out, and, and you're going to have little moments. It just felt really composed and confident, with a load of pop and fun as well. So it was just a fun bike to ride, um, which is what I'm trying to convey in my monologue <laughs> <laughs> you did. I, I did i did i mean i managed it well done let's talk about mind though i'm i'm not like a big uh analyzer of what's going on right i i, I and i struggle with apps they they it's just very complicated sometimes um i didn't have the smoothest ride with it if i'm honest i had some connectivity issues um you need it seemed to need internet at times when I didn't have internet, i.e. in the woods. Um, but the data it provides is it's kind of useful, but kind of not as useful as it could be. Um, Luke, you've ridden mind on a foxy as well, and that's kind of what you felt as well, right? Yeah, it was. I need to do more testing on that. Um, the suggested settings I was getting from that app were a bit different to um, how I would have set the the fork and the shock up myself, um, doing it the traditional way. Um, and again, but the, and the data it records is, it's interesting because it's a novelty to look at, but Robin, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I was just going to ask, what. so what did it recommend? Into, you said it recommends settings. Okay, so a part of the Mind app is it will set up your SAG for you because its whole feature is that it measures suspension travel. Um, so I went on the off the settings from the back of the forks. They have a sticker on the Odin's fork on the back, like lots of brands do, that suggests an air pressure and um, damping settings. So that gave me um, yeah, a, a good fork setting. Um, and I went onto the Mondraker website and found their setup chart for the rear shock. And... Uh, and put in their recommended like air pressures and as a starting point. And that gave a pretty good um, like base setting as well. Um, and then when I went to check that with the Mind app, it suggested I needed 20 PSI less in the forks and like 15 PSI more in the shock, which just threw the balance of the bike out completely. Um, and I spoke to the guys at Mondraker about this and they were like, oh, like send us the serial numbers of the thing and we're, and we're checking into it. And they're like, oh, I'll try doing an app update. Um, we don't get those same settings. Um, and I'm, I'm still like um, to go back out and, uh, and to get that figured out, like what's, um, what it should be. But like the, the, the base settings recommended by Odin's on the fork sticker and by Mondraker on their setup guide were, were great, really good the app was a bit bit funky it threw it off a little bit so but maybe it's like i'm not great with technology either it's, it's possibly user error rather than a uh, um a fault with the system um but yeah as tom said like the the information it gives you is 
like a nice novelty. You can see how much travel you're using at each point of your ride attracts GPS. Um, but it doesn't give you any information on changes to make and it won't give you any information on like damping or anything like this, if you know what I mean. So you have to sort of analyze that yourself, which kind of is at odds with, with shock quiz, because that is, you know, a system that you, you plug into the air spring of your fork and that gives you actually a lot more information and it gives you a lot more hints and tips as to what you sort of can do. Maybe a bit more prescriptive, right? Yeah. And I think, I think this is probably my, you know, if we're talking so solely about the mind system, I think that was my issue with it really. It was that it's, it's an add-on to the bike that clearly adds to the RRP and the RRP isn't exactly cheap. Um, and it feels that you need to do a lot of guesswork to get useful information out of it if you really want to use the telemetry as telemetry is really meant to be, which is and it's meant to be there to help you. So it feels like the mind system isn't quite developed enough to of, be of real use, given that it's going to cost extra on top of the bike. And the, the raise I tested was the base model raise, and it comes with this telemetry, and it's not an option. And it feels like, you know, I, I kind of get, maybe it's like a, you'd have it as an add-on to like your flagship model, you know, to be like, hey, we've got this, you know, this bike, you're spending 10 grand. So you might as well have this extra on top, but it feels like there were spec compromises on that bike that I felt were made, maybe at the expense of, you know, the, the, the mind was sort of at the expense of specs. So for example, a much longer dropper post was needed. I was probably at seven or eight centimeters sticking out the top of my seat tube on the large, and I'm only six foot. Um, the tire specs weren't really great. The, the drivetrain could be better. It worked fine, but it could be better. The brakes weren't the brakes that I would sort of choose. And I sort of feel that on a bike that costs this much, I would rather forego the telemetry that maybe doesn't offer all it potentially could do. And I'd rather have better spec. But if you look at telemetry as a, as a whole, as like, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's in the headline bike test because, hey, this is bike is this is bike with built-in telemetry. I think so long as it's developed properly and has all the information, then I've got no issue with it being there so long as you're willing to put the work in to understand it. Um, so, and I uh, guess how many times are you going to use it? it, it, it exactly, yeah. Um, I think it's it, it feels like it's a mass market bike with an add-on, and this goes for any telemetry. So, not picking on Mondrake here. A mass market bike with inbuilt telemetry is only that telemetry is only going to be interesting and useful to a, a tiny, tiny proportion of riders beyond the first couple of rides. And at that point, you're then just carrying around a load of electronics that I I just don't think is ever going to be charged. And I've just it, it feels like a unless you're actually a pro, unless you're actually really, really into analysing every element of performance, it just feels like a, a bit of a gimmick. I mean, to, to, to throw a small spanner in the works there, um, one of the frequent things that we are asked is what what can we do to help help ourselves, you know, ride better or quicker, whatever. First answer is usually coaching. Second answer is usually get your bike set up correctly. Um, so if you're in a position where you can have telemetry um, available 24-7 on your bike for no additional cost, then it could potentially be really helpful, um, especially if the information that it gives is is useful or you know how to um, decipher it. Now, I, I just checked out the Motion Instruments website and their front and rear suspension tele telemetry uh, 
tell them that, oh my God, I can't even say it anymore. Their system, thank you, is £1,160. And that's before you buy the subscription to the app. So that's just the hardware. Um, so, you know, in that respect, the Mondraker looks like a steal. But if the information that it's giving you is either difficult to interpret or uninterpretable by people who don't necessarily know what they need to do to make the data make sense, then that's maybe where it's slightly less useful. I just, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. It just, I think at the moment, it's just A, not developed enough and B, comes at the expense of other things. And I think you know, it's all well and good getting your bike set up properly, but you could get your bike 95% set up properly yourself quite easily without having to use all of that. And then if you want to go in debt, do you need to do that every single ride? I, I, I don't know. There's a good uh, video on our Bike Radar YouTube channel, which will exactly. there is how to plenty of depth, yeah, plenty of know-how, all on there. Save yourself some cash, or or, or tra transfer us each one thousand one hundred and sixty pounds, the cost of a motion instruments telemetry system. <laughs> yeah, thanks. All right, <laughs> well, I think we'll um, I think we'll wrap it up there. The um, the 2023 headline bike test went into MBUK 413, which will be on sale by the time this podcast comes out. So head down to WH Smiths and other other news agents are available. Or get yourself to, is it buysubscriptions.com? Uh, maybe? MBUK.com. Go on MBUK.com and you, you'll get there. Yeah. There you go. Get or a supermarket. To... One of the big supermarkets. They they're, all they're everywhere. And you, you can read full reviews on the bikes in MBUK. You can also find full reviews on Bike Radar, and there's probably going to be a YouTube video about them as well. So, multimedia uh, representations of all eight bikes. But um, yeah, we'll leave it as that. Thank you ever so much, Al, Luke, and Rob, for uh, talking through all of these really interesting bikes of 2023. And uh, as before, don't forget to subscribe, don't forget to rate, and don't forget to email podcast at bikeradar.com if you want to leave any comments thank you tom cheers, cheers tom. tom thanks for listening to the bike radar podcast if you've not done so already please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode